This podcast is produced by Unedited. If you are dependent, as I was, on how you feel about yourself, if that depends on what other people say, you know what? You're a prisoner. You're a prisoner. You can only be happy when other people are saying nice things about you or when other people act in a nice way around you. And so I've completely flipped that now. And the the, the big thing I look for, when I, whenever I get friction in my day, I welcome it. I'm like, bring it on. Okay, what is this teaching me? So it's really empowering because I'm no longer a prisoner. I can't control how other people behave with me. I can't control how a social media follow interacts with me. But I can control or I can certainly use it as a mirror to look back on me and go, oh, why does that comment bother you? Oh, I see that comment bothers you because you've got a bit of an insecurity about this. Okay, cool. Let me work on that insecurity. And by doing that, I feel I've become not quite bulletproof, but I'm a lot closer to bulletproof than I was to the point now where very few things bother me. That's Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and this is episode 212 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. Having faced my own battles with self-discovery and mental health, I became a coach who helps people live a more fulfilling life. And this podcast is all about self-development and conscious living. Each week, we hear the stories and tips from some of the most inspirational people in the world to help inspire you to make a positive change in your life. On this week's episode, I am joined by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who is the host of the number one health podcast in Europe, Feel Better, Live More, and the author of four best-selling books with his latest, Feel Great, Lose Weight, out now. And Rangan has been working as a doctor for over 20 years, but along his journey, he started to question how he could do more to help his patients. And this led him on an amazing path of self-discovery and personal growth. Now, I'm a really big fan of Rangan's work, so I'm really excited to bring this episode to you, and I think you're going to learn and take so much value from it. During this conversation, we spoke about the best way to create new habits, taking a compassionate approach to change, the power of self-discovery and more. Now before we jump in, I'm really excited to announce that my own book, The Search for Clarity, is now available as an audiobook. After much to and fro and back and forth, the audio is now available. It's narrated by me and shares my biggest learnings and lessons that have helped me to live a happy and fulfilling life. The audiobook is now available via Audible and physical copies can also still be bought from the dreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Rongan. So hello and welcome, Rongan. How are you? Alex, I'm really good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on your show. No, absolute pleasure. And um, I was kind of having a mini fanboy moment just before, but you know, I, I've, I really appreciate your work with your podcast and, and everything else you're doing. And I've listened to so many episodes, so it, this actually feels like a real honor for me to have you as a guest, to be honest. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, yeah, I love chatting to other podcast hosts. And uh, there's something about this medium that I just really, really love. Yes, it's, I'm the same, really. And it, it's funny because when I started the podcast, I, I'd never done any sort of like interviews. I mean, I'd, I kind of had for like a blog, but it was kind of more, you know, over email. You'd send the questions, they'd, they'd send them back, whatever. I'd never done like a long form, but I just really started to enjoy it. And I got put onto your podcast, funnily enough, through an old friend that I worked with who introduced me to your episode with Tony Riddle. And he's since been on the podcast a couple of times. 
So I feel like this is a really nice full circle moment where now you've you've come on as the kind of guest as well. So um, I'm really excited to, to see what we dive into. Yeah, me too, mate. Me too. Awesome. So I, I think the best place to start really is this is my first recording of the year. Um, we've obviously had a bit of a crazy 2020 kind of behind us now um, for everyone who's, who's kind of lived through it. So I'm interested to hear what are some of the things that you kind of learned through 2020 that kind of you want to take into this year moving forward? Yeah, um, I did a lot of reflection in 2020. A lot of reflection about my life and how I was leading my life. What things did I enjoy and wanted to do more of? Which things did I want to do less of? And I think for many of us, you know, 2020 caused us to press pause on our lives. And you know, I fully accept that depending on our own life situation, where we live, what our job is, our experience will have been very, very different. Some people are crippled with stress and anxiety about work, about financial issues, about relationship issues. And I totally want to, you know, respect that and, and understand that. But at the same time, I have to be true to my own experience. And my own experience was that 2020 taught me a lot. It taught me about how important my family is to me. I knew that already, but I spent so much more time with my family over 2020 because I couldn't travel. I couldn't go, you know, I used to be in London every week or every other week. You know, I I live in Cheshire, so it would be a commute down there. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I love seeing my kids all the time. Um, The fact that we couldn't travel, I got to experience the beauty that exists around where I live, walks that I did like within 20 minutes of my house that I'd never done before. I thought, oh, wow, I don't need to escape here to get a holiday. I can live a holiday right here if I access what's right in front of me. So those are a couple of things that I I really think about. I've also been thinking a lot about how we define success. You know, Mm -hmm. how do I define it? How does society define it? Because I think... For many of us, a really useful question is, how do we define success for ourselves? Because if we don't take the time to do that, we end up trying to meet someone else's definition. So what is society's definition? More money, better job, more followers, nicer car, more expensive holiday, right? So if you're trying to even subconsciously chase that every day, without taking a pause, well, you know what? You're going to end up being very, very unhappy. And the reason is, is that if money is your metric of success, then frankly, there's always going to be someone who's got more than you, unless you're Jeff Bezos, right? You you know, you're always going to be chasing more and more. And what would happen if as a society, we valued, oh, how much time did you spend with your loved ones this year? You know, what? How, ma- how many meals did you have with someone that meant the world to you? Or if you are a parent, how many meals did you sit down undistracted with your children where you weren't thinking about Instagram or emails? You know, what if we start to value that as society? So I know I'm getting quite deep here at the start of our conversation, <laughs> but I guess what 2020 taught me is that I'm quite content with who I am. It's the small things in life that make me happy having time for a morning routine is so important to me. Having breakfast with my kids 
is so important to me. Having time each day to get out in nature is so important to me. And if I get those things done, I kind of feel, well, I'm winning at life. Life's pretty good. And it's funny, I I was interviewed for a podcast a couple of days ago and they asked me if I've got any resolutions. Mm. And I thought, this is interesting. This is one of the first years I can remember where I don't have any resolutions. And I've really been reflecting on that. And I think I think it's because I feel pretty content with who I am these days. You know, I'm not trying to be somebody else. So yeah, I've got a few goals this year for sure. But I've not got these kind of really big goals that I have to achieve this. And you know, the truth is, mate, if I'm honest, by by society's standards, I am successful, right? So externally, people will look at me and go, what the hell have you got to be worried about, mate? You, uh, you know, you're a doctor. Um, you've got the biggest held podcast in Europe. Um, you you just released your fourth Sunday Times bestseller. Um, you're happily married with two kids. What 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 on earth have you got to worry about? But here's the thing, Alex, that I've realised as I I do a lot of self reflection is that my entire life, I don't really feel that I felt enough in who I was. I always would seek external validation. And and I can really trace that back to my childhood. And I can tell you that, you know, getting more followers, selling more books, having more listeners, you know, it's all great, but it doesn't make me happy. Mm. My wife doesn't care. My kids do not care whether I sell 10,000 books or one book or whether 200,000 people listen to my latest podcast or zero people, they don't care. And it's so grounding for me, having kids has changed everything because I I see then that actually, you know what? I'm happy with the person I am. I am enough in being me. And so whilst these external things are all great, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't enjoy that. I, I, you know, I love writing books. I love my weekly podcast, right? I love my job but it doesn't make me happy. And that's a massive thing I've learned last year. I mean, wow. I mean, for, for an opening monologue, that is easily one of the most beautiful I've heard on here. And I know you joked about going really deep early on, but you know, listeners to the podcast will not be shy of a deep conversation. So I think there's so many interesting points that you touched on there. I think the the happiness thing is really interesting. Defining success is, is really interesting. The resolutions. And I think, you know, hearing what you're saying there is like when you pull all of those things together, making resolutions for the new year, which is something that me as well, a couple of years ago, I just stopped doing one year. And I had that moment, I guess, that you're kind of having the other day of reflecting on that. Oh, that's interesting. Why did I do that? What's changed? Why have I not set these really tangible goals and instead gone for something that's a little bit more softer or or could be perceived as easier, you know? Um, and I think it comes down to to the points you're making of, of gratitude and happiness and, and recognizing actually what are the things that define my success to make me happy? Is it the external validation? Is it the, the financial success, the career success, the relationship success? Or is it being content with where I'm at in my life, who I am as a person, you know, how I spend my time with my friends, my family, and I think when you start to kind of reflect on that, you you slow down a lot of your life, don't you? And I think, you know, going back to the original question was, what did you learn from 2020? And I think for me, that was the big learning was 
you mentioned the pause button and it's that slowing down of life. You know, we, we've been living so fast, so fast for so many years, chasing this, chasing that, trying to do more, trying to do this. And when all of a sudden you've got all of this time <laughs> to sit, reflect, to think, to spend time with people, you start to value different things. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I love how you shared that. I agree. Um, it's what's the point of life? What are we living for? I think 2020 and just this whole episode that we're all living through in different ways, there is an opportunity for reflection, even if life is tough, right? There's still an opportunity for reflection. There's always an opportunity to look at it and go, well, what is this teaching me? And, you know, saying that I haven't made any resolutions doesn't mean I've got nothing I'm trying to do. So I I have a chart in my kitchen and my kids have one as well. And we have a tick chart of habits and behaviors we're trying to turn into habits. And I've always been saying to the kids, look, don't put five or six on there. It's too many. Just choose a couple and try and do them consistently. And the thing I've decided I want to work on this year is meditation. So in my tick chart Mm. at the moment, it's 15 minutes of meditation. Now, I just want to back up a little bit to say, I have been working on this for a number of years. So I don't think for most people starting at 15 minutes is a good idea. I think they're much better (laughs) starting off with two minutes or one minute. Yeah. But I've been doing that one minute and those five minutes of meditation. And something happened in 2020 for me, mate, where I kind of at some point, I could just drop into a much deeper state of meditation that I've managed to for years. For many years, my meditation, when I did it, was me sitting there and going through my to-do list for 10 minutes and getting frustrated with myself and beating myself up, going, come on, why can't you calm your mind? Why can't you switch off? Right? I I was quite mean to myself. And as I started to let go more and more of the outcome, I kind of have found myself, sometimes I just, I feel this real deep stillness where everything just stops. And and, and I start to experience what you read about, which is you start to crave meditation, right? That never happened till last year. It was always something I thought, oh, I should do this, right? Oh, I should meditate. I know it's good for me. But I'd be often looking at the watch going, how long left? Oh man, I've still got, man, I've still got five minutes to go. So I just started to experience something that I'd read about before but never really felt, which was this feeling of craving meditation. I remember a few weeks ago that I was doing my morning routine, which I always do, and I thought, you know what, I really want to meditate. Like I really, I'm craving meditation. I've never felt that. Something has shifted in me. And it's it's really beautiful because... I now have said this year, the number one goal for me, I wouldn't even call it a goal. The the daily action that I'm trying to put into practice is 15 minutes of meditation. And the reason it's 15 is because I can get to 10 minutes with no real problem, but that 15 is a slight push for me. So I think, yeah, okay, why not try and bring in 15 minutes now? Now that you've got 10 locked in, Bring in 15 minutes because then that will soon become your new normal. So I'm I'm a huge fan of small incremental changes. You know, someone could say, I want to do meditation. And for three days, I can do 20 minutes. No problem. But then the next day, it's like, 
oh man, I'm a bit busy today for that 20 minutes. And then, you know, they don't do it. They say, I'll do it tomorrow. And before you know it, tomorrow never comes. And then it's something that I used to do. And I've been there and I've done that a million times. So this is this is an approach that I'm finding much more sustainable for me. It's the same approach, frankly, that I find sustainable with my patients is when you t- when you make small changes and you do them consistently, they start to accumulate. You really start to feel the difference. Um and so, you know, so far, you know, as we're recording this, what is it? Is it the, what is it? 6th of January. Six, yeah. I've got six ticks at the moment. So, so far, so good. Um, but yeah, that's it. I'm not, and again, mate, if I don't do it, I'm a different person now. I'm not going to beat myself up like I used to. Mm. If I don't do it, I'll be like, okay, I wonder why. Was I tired? Did I go to bed too late the night before? Okay, cool. When I wake up tomorrow, I'll start afresh. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love the meditation example because it's like, you know, the one or two minutes that you begin with, they soon become very easy because you you can quite easily sit for two minutes. And like you said, you have all of those things going on in your head, but you know, in two minutes time, you, you can get up and get on with them. But when you extend that to 10, 15, 20 minutes, those periods of time, just the time is there for obviously for a longer period, but you're just sat in it for a lot longer and a lot more comes, a lot more goes. And I'm a big meditator. I've been meditating for, I think, five years now. And, you know, it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. And funnily enough, I've started to push myself to the 20-minute mark this year and at the back end of last year to really say, look, you know, 10 minutes is fine, but, you know, I've got all of this extra time because there's no traveling involved in my days. I'm working from home, podcasting from home. I can bolt another 10 minutes on the end of that and make it a 20 and it's so interesting how the 20 minutes comes across. So it's harder. It's harder to be honest, you know, and it's like you, you do start to even beat yourself up during the meditation of like, oh, why can't I just stay with it? Why is this so hard? And the whole point and the whole learning of meditation is to, to learn to let go of all of that stuff and allow those feelings to be there. Like there's nothing wrong with yeah. that feeling. And I think one of the best things I've heard about meditation, and I don't know if this might help with you or anyone else that you kind of um, could speak about meditation with is, you know, often people try to get something from meditation. We try to sit and I want to meditate because I want to be so Zen and so calm and have no worries and no thoughts. But meditation is more than that. Meditation is about how much you give to meditation. It's not what you get from it. It's what you give to it. And giving your presence, your time, your energy is where you really see the results that you want because you're 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 dedicating you're crafting time you're creating space for it yeah no i i, I love that and it's it's a practice isn't it it's mm-hmm. what what i've learned is that it is what it is it's the daily practice of doing it if one day my mind is busy for 15 minutes okay that's okay that is actually showing me there's a lot going on at the moment mm. you know um there is there is a lot going on that you're processing okay cool at least sitting there and meditating has made me aware of that because without that that anxiety and stress building up in my brain would have taken me into my work day or my interactions with my wife or my interactions with my children so at least sitting there it's like ah it's a lot going on here at the moment. Cool. And that 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 little bit of awareness really kind of translates into every other thing that I do that day. And that's the other thing with meditation that it took me a while to learn is that it's not really about, well, it's not always about what happens in that meditation. You often, 
you don't necessarily feel the buzz afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Now, I, I've started to, but a lot of the time I didn't. You know, you do a five-minute workout or a 10-minute workout, you know, you feel differently afterwards. Your endorphins have got, you, you know you've moved your body, right? Sometimes with meditation, you don't get that. But you need to observe it and you go, actually, maybe at 1.30 p.m. something happens and you don't react. And you think, ah, normally I react to that or I have a little row with my wife over that or I get a bit snappy, but I've not been doing that. And then you start to piece together, oh, I see when I meditate, when I take that time, it's not necessarily in the meditation that I get the benefit. It can often be hours later. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the whole resolution thing, the goal thing, what I what I really was thinking a lot about last year as well, and it's, you know, my, 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 my third book, my last one from last year called Feel Better in Five, which is all about five-minute health interventions. I didn't put this in the book and I didn't really really get this when it came out but I realized because I saw the impact it was having uh, with so many different people and I knew it would because I see that with my patients that these five-minute interventions can really be powerful but I was kind of trying to figure out a case one day I thought oh I get it it's I'm I'm helping people change who they are through what they do and, and I think that's something that's really useful for people to think about, particularly at the start of the year. It's, okay, you may have a goal. You may want to lose weight. You may want more energy this year. Okay, that's fine. Use that as a direction of travel for the year, right? But then put it out of your mind. Then figure out what daily actions do you need to take to get there. So, I really these days let go of the outcome and focus more on the process. It's the journey over the destination. So if someone's listening to this and they've got a goal, it's go, okay, cool. Whatever that goal is, are there two things that you need to do each day that if you do them consistently will help you get somewhere towards that goal? Okay, if it is, why don't you write them down? Do what I do, put them in the kitchen on the wall with a tick chart and then All you have to do is not worry about the destination. Mm. Frankly, I don't want you to worry about anything, but I want you to just focus on those two daily actions. You know, it could be a five-minute workout and a five-minute meditation. I promise if you do that consistently, five, six, seven days a week, three, four weeks a month, you will feel like a different person physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's not just what it does. It's what it signifies to you. Mm-hmm. It's the little daily action that you're saying, I'm worth it. You know what? Life may be tough. I may have 300 emails to get through today. I may not be able to go into the office and see my work colleagues. I may not be able to see my girlfriends or whoever. Right? I get that. But still, you're still controlling the controllables. You're still giving yourself a dose of feel good each day. You're saying to yourself, hey, I'm worth it. I'm worth a five-minute workout, a five-minute meditation, no matter how bad things may seem. And that builds up your self-esteem like nothing else. Mm, yeah, I love that because it's 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 funny because all of the things that you've mentioned there, I experienced when I wanted to dedicate 100 days in a row to meditation because I was in a very similar boat where I'd drop in and out of it. I'd you know, I'd do two days here, 10 days there, then I'd drop three days and then I'd come back to it. I said to myself, right, can I commit to 100 days? If so, how can I do it? And it's like when you look forward to, to day 100 from day one, you're like, geez, that is so far away. How am I ever going to commit to 100 days in a row? 
And, and I soon began to realize as I committed to it that the only way that you can is by dedicating the time each day. It's not about reaching day 100. It's about doing what you can do on day five, day 23, day 74, and making sure that you put in that, even if it's two minutes that day, you know, I like to do, like I said, 10 to 15 minutes, but even if it was two minutes, that's still my commitment to what I wanted to do. And like you said, it, it, it reciprocates you in terms of like, you start to tell yourself that you're important. You start to send yourself messages of being worthy and, you know, your, your, your being when you're doing those things changes, you, you, you become more present to it. You become more aware of it. You become more, um, like energized towards it. And there's, there's something pulling you, like you were saying that craving you're getting for meditation There's something now pulling you towards it because you're, you're giving your best in that. Yeah, no, I love that. Alex, could I, would you mind if I ask you a question? I'm yeah, really sure. intri intrigued. These hundred days of meditation. So I'd, I'm the inquisitive part of my mind is now thinking, <laughs> okay, what happened on that journey? Were there any key moments along the way? But I'm also interested at what happened when you got there on day 101. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I because I find that interesting. When we have a goal, one of the problems with goals is if the goal is to get to this point, and you get there, what was the day after? Mm. You know, if your goal is to, is to lose two stone by the end of February, what happens if you get there? What happens on March the 1st? Are you kind of done now? You know, it's kind of like, oh, now I can go back to the way I used to live because I've met my goal. So if you, you know, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear a couple of those things. Do you know what? That's such a great question. I've, I've, I've never, I've thought about it. I've reflected on it because I, obviously I know what happened on day 101, but I've never been asked about it, which is quite interesting. Um, but to, to the earlier point, I, on the journey, there was just a lot of self-discovery along the way, you know, meditation is about self-discovery. It's about being present. It's about giving to the time rather than taking from it. And, you know, I've, I've, I've written actually about it before and, and recorded a short podcast episode on this, but one of the things that I really took from it was that essence of what we were saying earlier about incremental change, right? It's about, I'm not focusing on day 100 at first i was and i was really scared by it but by the time i got to day 10 day 11 day 12 i was just focusing on that day like when i woke up on day i don't know 22 i was just about okay all i have to do today is make sure that i don't go to bed without meditating five minutes ten minutes two minutes it doesn't matter and there was even times where it'd be like a saturday night and i'd been out drinking and i'd be in the cab on the way home thinking like oh geez you know what if i get home and I lie down in my bed, I'm going to fall asleep and I haven't done my meditation today. So I'd, I'd get my, my headspace app out in the back of the cab, do the three minutes, the shortest one possible, hold it to my ear and almost do it in the back of the cab. Whilst was, a bit drunk, whilst yeah, a bit tipsy. Yeah, yeah hey. whilst a bit tipsy, of course. And it's like, you know, I wasn't absolutely levered where, I, you know, I was, you know, not able to walk or, or, or think properly. I was still, you know, it was a bit tipsy, like you said. So you can still do it. It's just closing your eyes, focusing on the breath. And it was, it was about finding the fun in doing the meditation. That was the kind of real learning I made. And then to the point of day 101, it's, a, it's such a great question because I actually ended up getting to 197 days in a row. And I was so desperate to reach 200 because I would have, you know, doubled down on what I'd originally set out. But I was actually traveling in Japan at the time and I went to bed one night without doing it. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, oh no, I just dropped the ball. We're like three days short of 200. So I actually ended up continuing the, the, the cycle of just putting that time in every day, bit five minutes, bit 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it was. 
and and when you when as you say you drop the ball which is completely understandable yeah. and frankly first of all congratulations that is phenomenal 197 days in a row but on day 198 you you can't do it because you're traveling what happens on day 199 <laughs> i think i think i because i was traveling i, I was trying to like i was with a couple of mates so it was a little bit harder you know you get you get into the hostel you have to you know hostel um bunk bedrooms aren't the best place to try and meditate so it was a bit difficult trying to find time and space to do it and what i actually found myself doing was when i was out and about we might have been you know sat on a train or we'd go to the beach or we'd be sat in a park you know just taken in the site i'd kind of do like a mini meditation there and then yeah. and I've, I've experienced it a couple other times when i've been traveling where i just get this urge of like i'm really enjoying this moment i'm really enjoying this vibe let me meditate with this energy and see how I feel. Yeah, that that's so beautiful to hear because a couple of things I, I notice a lot is when people miss their streak, they often use it as a reason to th- jack it all in and go, ah, mm. oh, I'm a failure, I can't do it. You know what, that's it. Screw meditation, I'm moving on to something else. But it's really nice that you didn't. Uh, but the other thing is those, those learnings of actually, you know what, it is hard in the hostel beds and I'm out with my mates, but I can find a little mini moment of meditation or, you know, mindfulness on the beach or as you're traveling. And it's, I think that's another learning that people get when they put in the Mm. time to make it a practice is that you can actually meditate anywhere. I spoke to the neuroscientist, Dr. Tara Swart on my podcast, and she told me how she would meditate on the tube. Mm. This is pre-COVID. She would meditate on the tube each day. And it's it's interesting because I have a 10-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. Now, I'm big on getting up early and having time for myself before my wife and kids are up. But sometimes that doesn't happen or sometimes I'm up, but the kids are up early as well. And the old me a few years ago would be frustrated if I'm trying to meditate and then the kids are there making a noise and playing because, frankly, they're just kids. Of course, they're playing and making a noise. You know, they're, they're being kids. I would get annoyed in the past and maybe not say anything, but get frustrated. And ultimately, it's not them. The issues with me because ultimately they're just getting on with their lives. I'm the one who's created the story that I need quiet and calm and peace to meditate. And now, and it happened this morning, I welcome it. I go, okay, awesome. Kids are out there playing. Cool. It's almost like it's almost like doing um, it's almost like weight training and putting up the weight. It's like. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Can I can I stay present now with the kids playing and laughing and wrestling in the room next door? Mm. And again, I've learned to let go. Let go of the outcome. We go, okay, I'm meditating. That's the way it is today. Okay. You know, what would I rather not have my kids? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? It's no, I love my kids more than anything. So it's like, well, I'm lucky. I've got this life in my house in the morning. And Again, but these things are quite hard to get to. If you know, if someone's listening and they they want to start meditating tomorrow on the back of this conversation, you know, I would say just go easy on yourself. Don't mm-hmm. expect to get the learnings that you've got, Alex, or the ones that I've had over four, five, six years of trying to bring this in. Just start small. And the other thing I would say is find a time mm. that, that's going to work for you. So I personally have seen this work really well. And and actually, it's what the behavioral change science also um, backs up, which is, where are you going to put this new behavior? Right? It's so, so key. Any behavior we do needs a trigger. 
right? We need some form of a trigger. Now, you could just remember, you know, oh, I'm just going to remember to meditate. Okay, that can work, but the research shows that that's the most unreliable trigger that exists. The second best trigger is a notification. So a bit like today, I had a Google Calendar notification saying at three o'clock, I'm chatting to Alex on his podcast. Great, that reminds me to do this behavior, which is have the podcast with you. That's better than your memory, but it's not as good as the very best trigger, which is when you stick on the new behavior to an existing habit. Mm -hmm. So one of my daily habits that is not on my chart because I've been doing it every day for about three years now, and you may have heard me talk about this on my podcast before, but I make coffee every morning. And the coffee, I weigh it out, it goes in the French press, and then a timer goes on for about four to five minutes. In those four to five minutes, I don't go on email or Instagram. I'm, you know, I literally do a workout in my pajamas, right? So every day I do a four or five minute workout within half an hour of getting up. I don't need to find time for it. And the reason I do it is not because I'm more motivated than anyone else. It's because I understand habit formation and I've stuck it on to making my coffee. I don't need a reminder to make my coffee. I don't need motivation to go, you know, Ronga, go on, go on, make your coffee today. No, I'm going to do that. That's part of my routine. So I've got this window of four minutes. What am I going to do whilst the coffee boots are four minutes? And people can do whatever they want, journal. They could meditate then for four minutes and then they get the gorgeous reward of a cup of coffee at the end of it. So Mm. again, wanting to do a certain behavior is great, but if you don't apply the rules, the two big rules I talk about with people and it's from my 20 years experience as a doctor, but also from the sciences, make it easy and stick onto an existing habit. And I promise if you apply those two rules, you are much more likely to succeed. And when I say make it easy, it's a four-minute workout, right? That's easy. I don't need to motivate myself for that. I do it in my pajamas. I don't need to get changed. I don't need to put on my sports gear and put on my trainers. I'm barefoot in my pajamas in the kitchen. I've made it about as easy as possible. Like it would be really hard for me not to do that now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, even, even myself, like I, I tend to do my meditation at the same time every day as well. And it's generally after I've got out of the shower, I've, by then I've had my breakfast, got out of the shower, got dressed. And it's kind of the last thing I do before then starting my day. Like, you know, when I first started, it was the last thing I did before leaving the house to go to work. Whereas now, you know, there is no leaving the house to go into work, but it's the last thing I do before then, you know, coming to my desk, opening my laptop, checking my phone, and having that same time every day really helps, like you said, inform that habit and, and create it and make sure that you're putting it in every day. And it's it's fascinating when you, you look into the behavioral stuff behind it. But, but Rongan, I'm, I'm really interested because I've heard you speak quite a lot about, and you even mentioned it at the beginning of this conversation, really, that you used to be someone who, who seeked, you know, validation, external validation. So I'm interested, what what caused the shift for you to then start going on this journey of kind of more self-discovery and look, looking inwards and, and, and looking at, you know, these definitions of what is success, what is happiness? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I guess trying to answer that, where did it all start? So that's a, causing me to reflect a little bit. <laughs> um, I think it's quite clear to me when this started. It started when my dad died and you know, this March, that'll be eight years. 
So I live in the northwest of England. I went off to uh, Edinburgh Uni, a medical school. I was working there as a doctor for a couple of years, but I moved back to the northwest to help my mum and my brother look after my dad, who was really sick. He'd had to retire from work suddenly. Uh, his kidneys had failed. He was on dialysis three times a week for 15 years and, wow. and really influenced the, the, the early part of my adult life until dad died, all revolved around my dad's health. So my 20s and my sort of early to mid 30s. And when dad died, I mean, I was broken. I was completely broken. It was, it took up so much time, physical time and mental time in my life. You know, I lived, you know, two minutes away from mum and dad's. So there was this huge hole in my life. And my whole identity was wrapped up in being a carer for my dad. That's what I did. My friends knew that. My family knew that. My colleagues knew that. That that was me. That's what Rongan does. He's a carer. So it took me a real, quite a long time to really process that. So I would, I remember I would walk a lot. I'd just go and uh, just walk and think. And I really started to go into this whole idea of whose life am I leading? Am I living my life or am I living someone else's life? And that led me to change the way I practice medicine. Um, I went off uh, traveled around the world to actually go on different conferences and courses because I felt very frustrated that as doctors, particularly these days, I feel that we often medicate symptoms. We put sticking plasters on things. And often we really don't help people get to the root cause of their problems. And so as I started to understand that and learn more, I just became fascinated with myself, why I made certain decisions. You know, I think... Pain is always a great teacher mm. for so many of us. I I wish humans didn't need or didn't seem to need pain in order to make change. But it it does appear that for many of us, we do need that pain point. For me, losing my dad's, you know, my dad dying was definitely one of those. And so I would really reflect. And then I actually started, it's interesting. I saw this guy who used to help me with my back. I used to have a lot of back problems and he was a, uh, he'd do a lot of myofascial work. But he also helped to tune me into how we store our emotions in our body. Mm. And I remember so clearly, my, and I tell the story of this in my, in my first book about how I got rid of my back pain, um, which was, you know, to do with my right foot, really, a lot of it. You know, 80% of it had gone, but I'd still get the odd niggle from time to time. But it wouldn't stop me doing anything. And I remember at my dad's funeral, and dad had a cremation. And I remember so well that after the ceremony and, you know, the, the, the coffin comes out, the body comes out and it goes into like the oven. Mm, yeah. And you can see the heat inside. I think I, I seem, I've got this memory of an orange glow inside. And I saw my dad's body going, well, the coffin going in. And I, I remember in that moment feeling this tension in my right lower back. Oh, wow just vanish I was like did that just happen I, I, I know I felt it and I was and and since then it was like oh that final bit of tension's gone and I now realize very clearly that the weight of looking after my father and all you know really looking after the family that was my role I would hold in my back and when I knew when my body saw the body going in 
I thought, oh, that's it now. It's done. Like, I don't, I don't have to look after anyone anymore. And so there's lots of little small, well, not small, but significant moments like that, which have helped me look inwards and try and figure out what drives my behavior. I, I, I've done a form of therapy called IFS, Internal Family Systems, mm-hmm. which frankly has been life-changing. And just to be super clear, I'm not doing that therapy because I have a a diagnosable condition, right? I've always been very curious. I always want to optimize. I always want to understand myself better. If I take up a sport, I want to understand it. I want to study it. I want to learn about it. I want to apply myself to it. So this is me applying all that to me and going, okay, why do you behave like this in certain situations? And I think the other thing that's really helped me, Alex, is in 2015, while I was on this journey of trying to trying to help people by using less medication, more lifestyle means, I get off in my own BBC One show, Doctor mm. in the House. And here's the funny thing about that. I mean, that was passion. You know, I, I didn't do that for fame or being well-known. I did that because I had a real passion to say, hey, look, I want to show people just how many different conditions you can get significantly better or even reverse them in six weeks by making small, consistent changes to our lifestyle. And so I did that, you know, six months of slog, hardly seeing my wife and my son or going around the country. And I get some really incredible results with these families, the things that I'm still most proud of in my career. And then the show comes out and then you have to deal with Twitter. Yeah. And 99% is positive. 1% is brutally cutting and negative. And that bothered me. I thought, I don't understand this. Like I've just helped all these families get better and they're happier. They feel empowered. Why are you attacking me? Oh, you didn't do it the right way. You should have used this therapy. You should have used that. I was thinking, hey, hey, I get you've got an opinion, but have you just seen what's happened with these families? They've come off all their medication. They've done this. And But I, w- I would be really upset. I wouldn't sleep for a few nights. And so being in the cauldron of having a public profile, it's very much sink or swim. You either figure out your own insecurities or you will literally be a prisoner to other people's thoughts and other people's views of you. So, you know, I... Even the second season when it came out, I was better, but I still wasn't perfect. So I've learned, and I I really do think that having a a public profile has actually fast-tracked my my personal growth because it's brutal out there, right? If, if, If you are dependent, as I was, on how you feel about yourself, if that depends on what other people say, you know what? You're a prisoner. You're a prisoner, you can only be happy when other people are saying nice things about you or when other people act in a nice way around you. And so I've completely flipped that now. And the 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 big thing I look for, when I, whenever I get friction in my day, I welcome it. I'm like, bring it on. Okay, what is this teaching me? Yeah. So it's really empowering because I'm no longer a prisoner. I can't control how other people behave with me. I can't control how a social media follow interacts with me. But I can control or I can certainly use it as a mirror to look back on me and go, oh, why does that comment bother you? Oh, I see that comment bothers you because you've got a bit of an insecurity about this. Okay, cool. Let me work on that insecurity. And by doing that, I feel I've become not quite comp- bulletproof, hmm. but I'm a lot closer to bulletproof than I was to the point now where 
very few things bother me. But this has been seven or eight years of small incremental changes. Do you know what I mean? It hasn't just, I didn't just wake up, yeah. fall out of bed one day, go, hey, I'm chilled. I'm totally calm. Uh, so did, did that all make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think kind of what I'm getting from it is that, you know, you, you had a significant change in lifestyle because of your father passing, because that was so much of your identity was tied up in, being his carer and playing that role for, for yourself and the family and for him. And once that's been released from you, you know, you talked about that moment of the, the in the cremation and, and your lower back, there was a literal release. And it's then you've, you, you almost, what I'm getting is that you almost realized that you are holding on to something emotionally, which was creating something physical, which I guess once you kind of have a realization like that, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, you then go, oh, if, if, if I've been doing that in that area of my life, where else have I been doing it? And you start to then, like you said, you you hold that mirror up in a lot more different areas and you go, oh, so someone said this to me on Instagram or Twitter and it's made me feel angry or annoyed. Okay, let's get that mirror back out. Why has it made me feel angry and annoyed? It, it, it's so empowering. Honestly, mate, it's so empowering because then you've brought control and autonomy autonomy and agency back to yourself. Like the amount of time we go, I'm reacting like this because of the way that person was to me. That person was out of order. They should never have talked to me like that. They're, you know, we can, we can, that record can play out in our interactions with our parents, with our partner, with our children, with our friends. And I understand that. And I'm saying this with full compassion. There's nothing wrong if you react like that. I'm just suggesting, I'm just inviting people to go, hey, wait a minute. What if you just start to use that as a mirror and go, why? Why is that bothering me? Because here's the truth. When we are fully secure, safe and secure in who we are, the negativity doesn't bother us, mm -hmm. but the positive stuff doesn't go to our head either. Mm -hmm. And and it's that is what I'm striving for, to get to that place where actually, you know what? I'm happy with who I am and what I do. And therefore, you know, it's not, listen, the way I look at negative criticism, you know, to be fair, I don't really get much anymore. And I, I would like to think that's because I, I put out a positive energy. You know, I don't, I don't put things out in a divisive way. I'm not looking for fights or controversy. It's just well, not what I'm about. Could it be that you don't notice the negative as much, the negative comments as much? Alex, you, you may have nailed it there. Maybe I don't see it. You know, we we see what we give attention to. So you, you could be absolutely right there, mate. That's, you know, that's interesting. That's going to make me reflect a little <laughs> bit. Maybe I, maybe I don't see it. So thank you for that reflection because I hadn't really noticed that. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's, you know, if, if there is a negative comment, let's say, first of all, I figure out why might that bother me? Then I ask myself, is this true? Is there any truth to this? Because sometimes I can learn from it and go, ah, you know what? They've got a point there. You know, I could have phrased that a little bit better. And you take the emotion out of it and go, ah, okay. Okay, yeah, they've reacted in a certain way. They've been triggered. That's cool. But let me see through that and go, is there an element of truth there? Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Okay, cool. I can learn from that. Or you know what? No, I'm pretty happy with what I said and how I said it. They're, this person has clearly been triggered. Maybe maybe they're having a bad day. You know, maybe their their friends have been badly affected by 
things like this in the past. Okay, cool. And I look at it with compassion. Mm. And, you know, what I'm looking for, mate, you said, you know, going back to what you asked me at the start about 2021, what I want is calm, peace. You know, it sounds cheesy, but that's all I want. I just want, I just want calm, peaceful days. I don't, I don't want to waste my time fighting with people on social media. Frankly, I've never done that. I'm not interested. I just want to go about my work. I want to spread positive messages that are going to help people. I want to spend time with my wife, spend time with my kids, help my elderly mum who needs help these days. That's kind of enough for me. Yeah, I think this that you know bringing it down to such simple things really helps see that in your life. And you know, use the word compassion before. And it's, you know, when I, well, I do a lot of work with coaching clients and a lot of what I work around is detachment, you know, just kind of what we're talking about when it comes to the, you know, the way we react to a negative or positive comment or whatever it may be, because we think that a lot of the stuff that happens externally creates the way that we feel about it inside. So using the example, negative comment on Twitter, that makes me feel angry or sad, but the negative comment is no different to the positive comment other than the way that we've interpreted it ourselves, And it's within the interpretation that then creates the way that we feel about it. So if you can recognize that, accept that that is what's going on, you can then learn to detach from quite rightly, like you said, both the positive and the negative, because you can see both as an equal because you can't have a positive comment without there also being negative comments. Because they, they're, they're the same thing. They exist on the same coin. You know, they're the two sides of the same coin. So if you don't have negative comments, you'll never have positive and vice versa. But if you can detach from the idea of either of them being positive or negative in the way that you interpret them, then you you live with that calm, that sense of freedom, because you can actually be a bit more like, oh, okay, I see what that person's saying. That's fine. Maybe it's something for me to reflect on rather than me getting annoyed about it rather than me working up in anger because how many times you know does something like i always use the example of like stubbing your toe right you could stub your toe when you get up from the desk as soon as we finish this conversation and you could walk off thinking ah, oh, geez like that really hurt i'm such a klutz like i always when i'm in a rush to do things i'm always bumping my toe and da 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 or you could equally get up tomorrow from your desk stub your toe and just be like oh silly me i did it again and it's like the stubbing of the toe hasn't been any different it's the same action it's the same act yeah it's the interpretation of what that means to you that has created the way that you felt about it yeah you know the the, the famous victor frankl quote you know between stimulus and response is a space and in that space is our power to choose our response yes isn't quite what he said word for word but effectively that is the gist of it. In that space is our power to choose. We've always got a choice. Whether we think we do or not, coming back to meditation, meditation trains our ability to make that space bigger. You know, the, it, that space is a perception between whatever stresses you out and your response, there is time. And you can train yourself where that time becomes bigger. When I meditate regularly, I feel there's there's a real long gap between stimulus and response. I'm like, ah, I know I'm going to choose to respond like this. Mm-hmm. That my last podcast episode that went on my New Year's Day special this year 
which many people are saying is the best conversation I've ever put out and one of the best podcasts they've ever heard. And I think it is so powerful. It's the one that has changed me the most. And it's with this lady called Edith Eager. Now, Edith is 93 years old. And when she was 16, right, she was living, um, she, she was, you know, she's a, in a Jewish family. And when she was 16, she was getting on with her life. And suddenly, her parents, her and her sister get taken to Auschwitz. When she gets there, her parents get murdered. Wow. And then she's locked up for years. Mm-hmm. And she sees people around them running out to the guards, getting shot. She's two or three people away on a death march from actually uh, dying herself. And she's been through the worst of what humanity has. And at 94, mate, the compassion, the love, the empathy with which she speaks, the importance of forgiveness. But again, what is her key message? It's not dissimilar to Vitsa Frankl. She says that I've been in Auschwitz, but I can tell you that the greatest prison you'll ever find yourself in is the prison you create in your own mind. Mm. Wow. We've always got a choice. And I tell you what, mate, when someone like that says it, it has real meaning. It's like, because we can all go, oh, you know, I get that, but that doesn't apply in my life. You know, I'm different. Well, I tell you what. If this lady who's been in Auschwitz and had her parents murdered and has seen the very worst of what the world has to offer and she can come out and say that and Viktor Frankl, who was also in Auschwitz, can say that, I think there's something very powerful to learn for us. We've always got a choice, mate. And that's that's the thing. And we're never going to be perfect. This is a trainable skill, right? You can practice you won't get it right every time. But as you build that awareness and you, and you reflect at the end of the day, ah, oh, you know what? Man, I kind of reacted to that. Like I, next time that happens, I can respond in a different way. It's great. I think it's the greatest game in town. It's the best game because you're actually training yourself like a Jedi each day to get calmer, to get better, and um, it will improve not only how you feel about yourself, it will lower your stress levels, it will improve your relationships. How many times do we get triggered by our partner mm-hmm. or our children or our family? Of course, you know, you're not going to get this perfect every time. That would be sainthood, right, basically. <laughs> yeah. But you can get better at it for sure. Yeah. And I think, again, it's like even if you do have days where you feel like you slip from what you're trying to create for yourself, it's like, don't beat yourself up about it. Like it's totally fine to have days, you know, I, you know, for all the good and positivity that I try and create and put out there, like I have loads of days where I feel crap and I beat myself up about things, but it's about recognizing it's fine to do that. Like don't beat yourself up further for having beaten yourself up in the first place. Like that can be a a pretty normal reaction for us. You know, it's about, again, using that word compassion, recognizing that actually things like love, compassion, kindness, are in our nature, you know, they are the, 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 the space of living that we're born into, you know, we're born into a space of kindness and love and compassion, because when we're children and you really young babies are a great example of this, they live in a, a very pure state. You know, they don't have the stories, the ideas, concepts that we have about the world. They don't have a grasp of language. So they don't know, they can't use words to to manipulate the way that they think or feel they just feel and 
and and think and live purely and when you recognize actually the compassion is our natural setting you know you only have to look out the window at some nature to realize that you know everything around us is breathing living together because there's there's a compassion amongst everything and i don't know if you've ever read or seen any of the research about um how trees nourish each other so if there's yeah, one yeah. tree that that is lacking in nourishment the other trees will work together as like a kind of web of nourishment and feed that tree and it's like that's because it's they're living through a, a, a type of a sense of compassion and it's like when you start to go on a, this journey of like self-discovery you know much like myself i lived a lot of my 20s very depressed full of anxiety just really hated my life you know many times didn't even want to be here and it's like when you actually strip back from all of those things and you know this isn't necessarily a um a prescription for everyone but like when you strip back from all of those things you realize that you're just left left with compassion and love and kindness and it's like when you operate from that space much like you know the lady on your podcast it's like she may have been through the worst um example of humanity ever you know but or one of them at least but she can still live with compassion because that's our natural state and it's like when you really tap into that you really experience living and life in a, in a completely different way yeah and and it it applies to many things i mean compassion is you know it's at the heart of the, the new book I've got out at the moment um, called Feel Great, Lose Weight, why I think it's resonating with so many people at the moment is because it's a compassionate approach to improving our health. And if we want to, losing weight, it's a compassionate approach. We're not used to that. We're used to, oh, it's January, you want to lose weight? Okay, I'm going to put you on a regime of deprivation, of restriction, of punishment, and I want to show people that, hey, you know what? You can achieve that goal of feeling better about yourself and losing weight. And it can be fun. It can be enjoyable. It can be full of compassion. And actually, I would argue that if you are wanting changes that last beyond January, that kindness and compassion has to be at the heart of it, anyone can go on a two-week diet and lose weight. Any one of us can, can white-knuckle it. And we might feel a bit better about ourselves. But when it comes from a place of deprivation and punishment and feeling not good enough, it very rarely lasts beyond January into Feb, March, April, May. And what I wanted to do, and frankly, I didn't need to write a book on weight loss, mate. The mm -hmm. truth is, you know, um, I could have kept focusing on overall health and well-being as it in my previous three books, even though lots of people lost weight from my first three books. <laughs> but I thought, wrong and if you are going to reach 100 million people and help improve the quality of their lives which is my stated uh, goal in my career then you have to be able to reach more people you have to be able to reach people who've been conditioned to pick up the weight loss book every january they will only pick up a book that says weight loss on the cover i've had a bit of stick about it um, but that stick would have really bothered me a few years ago and it bothered me a little bit, but it bothered me less because I'm really clear in the goal. The goal is there's a population out there of people who are being misserved in my view each year. And I want to bring this holistic, rounded, compassionate approach to health to them as well. And, you know, I think my existing audience are really enjoying it. But this new audience are loving it. They haven't 
read an approach to weight loss like this before. Mm. And it's about understanding themselves better, understanding their behaviors. It's about saying, hey, look, we are living in some pretty tough times at the moment, right? You don't need to beat yourself up any further. Life is already tough enough. Now, it's time to be kind and compassionate to yourself, right? If you have some biscuits on the sofa one evening and you're trying not to, instead of beating yourself up, instead of calling yourself a failure, there's this really great exercise in the book called the freedom exercise mm. where it helps you understand that behavior, right? It's one of my favorite exercises. And look, I don't need to, in inverted commas, lose weight for my health, but that exercise helps me. And it's, you know, I'll, I mean, can I just talk you through it? Because I think it's really useful. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about it because it was one of the things that really jumped out of me from the book was this freedom exercise and the three kind of, you know, points within it. Yeah, so like to, to make it really tangible, so cravings is something many people struggle with. So for someone who struggles with cravings, let's say it's 9 p.m. and you're on your sofa and you're watching telly and you think, oh man, Oh, fancy something sweet. I want some ice cream. Okay. I would say, okay, fine. Let's just take a quick pause. There's three F's in the freedom exercise. The first F is feel. Take a quick pause, either write it down or just, just say to yourself, what am I really feeling? Am I hungry for food or is it something else? You know, because that's one of the big problems these days is that we're trying to solve the wrong problem. Many people are trying to solve what they eat and that can be helpful for sure. But for many of us, we need to tap into why we eat mm. in the first place, right? Why we eat certain foods that we're trying to avoid. And the, the best way for me to say it is that we used to eat only to fill a hole in our stomachs. Now we're eating to fill a hole in our hearts. When we're lonely, we eat. When we're bored, we eat. When we're stressed, we eat. When we've had a row with our partner, we eat. Okay, cool. But let's understand that. So the first half is feel. What am I really feeling? Ah, I've had a really bad day. I've been on Zooms all day. I've not gone outside for a walk. You know what? I'm feeling stressed and ice cream is going to help me. Okay, fine. Go ahead and eat your ice cream. The next time, let's go to the second F. First F is feel. Second F is how does food help you feed that emotion? Okay. Ah, when I'm stressed... Ice cream helps me deal with that stress and makes me feel better. Cool. You're now starting to get that awareness. Eat the ice cream, but you're now understanding what's the drive. Then the third F is find. Now that you know what the feeling is, now that you know how food feeds that feeling, now can you find a non-food behavior to feed the same feeling? So if it's I'm stressed out and ice cream makes me feel better, it's like, well, what else could we do? In the book, there's loads of options, but it could be, for example, oh, I've not moved my body today. I'll do a five-minute yoga flow from YouTube. Or it could be, you know what? I just need to nourish myself. Maybe I'll run a bath for myself. Maybe you want to do five, two minutes of skipping just to burn off a bit of the stress that you're feeling. Maybe you want to pause and meditate. Maybe you have got into a bad habit in the sense that the brain is an associative organ. So maybe every time you're on that sofa, you've conditioned yourself to snack on that food. Maybe if you've got the luxury of going to a different room, for the next few weeks, you go to a different room and start to break that habit. But it's, it's a way of being really kind to yourself. Instead of saying, I'm weak, I can't stick to anything. It's like, going, oh, I get it. I'm stressed out. That's why I want that food. Okay, cool. Let me see which one of these five alternatives I now want to do instead. And it really works. It works for alcohol. 
It works if we want to reduce how much time we're spending on social media. You know, what, why am I on Instagram for two hours? Is it <laughs> that I love Instagram or is it I feel a bit lonely and I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some sort of uh, connection on there that I'm not getting in my uh, non-digital life. Maybe what I need to do is phone my best mate for a natter or phone my mum. And so I love that exercise because fundamentally we need to understand that all behaviors serve us in some way. They're doing something for us. And not not having that awareness, too many of these health plans, especially ones focused around weight loss, they don't really teach any awareness. They're saying, mm. follow this plan for three weeks. Fine, yeah, you follow it. You lose weight, great. But what happens later? What happens when life gets in the way and your behaviors start to creep back? Because they will. If you don't understand why, you're never going to change that behavior. There's another exercise in the book that I love. It's, it's a two or three minute practice. And I say to people, it's a daily reflection, right? Reflection is a key part of getting to know yourself better. But sometimes we're so busy that we don't have time for this. And I'm saying each evening, just ask yourself two questions. You can write this down in a journal if you want, or you can just think about it. What went well today? Mm. And what can I change for tomorrow? So simple, but so effective. It could be, for example, um, you know, I'm biased because I'm a parent, so I always think about things to do with kids. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it could be, um, you know what? Today's been really busy, but I still managed to find 20 minutes at the end of the day to cook a nourishing meal for my family and myself. That's So that's what went well today. Uh, what didn't go so well today could be, for example... Well, you know what? I was so stressed yesterday. I watched Netflix till midnight. I woke up today knackered and I was craving sugar all day. I was cranky with my kids. I didn't really get as much work done as I wanted. Tonight, I'm not going to stay up till midnight and watch Netflix. I'm only going to watch till 10.30. I'm going to get an early night. So tomorrow, I feel better. It takes minutes to mm -hmm. do that. But if you do that day in, day out... Right? And maybe use some of the principles we shared at the start where stick it on maybe at the end of dinner time or maybe if you have got kids and you put the kids to bed before you do anything else, just quickly do your daily reflection or maybe do it when you get to bed. Maybe have a journal and a pen on your bedside table and you go into bed and before you unwind, you just go, ah, oh, what went well today? What can I change tomorrow? Really simple things that are free of charge for us to do that have a huge impact on our health and well-being, whether we want to lose weight or not. Yeah, I think I think the art of uh, reflection is is so amazing because it it helps you build the self awareness that we were talking about earlier. You know, without the reflection, you don't get the awareness. And it's like when you do take the time to do both of those exercises you just spoke through, it's like you build an awareness over not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And when you start to understand the why is like you said, it's like you, you build that awareness and you can start to then put little things in place yeah. to help shift those. And they don't have to be these huge shifts, you know, of, you know, going from zero to a hundred in one day. It's just, just go from zero to one, you know, like we were saying before, those incremental changes, like I always talk about them as the 1%, you know, what are the 1% that you can do every day? That could be your three-minute reflection exercise. That could be your five minutes meditation, your four-minute workout while you're making your it, coffee. It will lead to those changes, like you, like you were saying before, that you a couple of years ago didn't make any resolutions. I didn't this year. These, these big shifts happen 
and you don't even realize they're happening because it's just the one percent improvement each day or each year even mm. and before you know it you become a different kind of person you know me not reacting as much anymore to things that i didn't just i didn't just listen to a podcast and go oh you know what i get it cool tomorrow i ain't gonna react anymore no it's been a practice it's been if i value this and i want to get good at that and i'm not sure if there's anything more valuable than getting good at not reacting i think the impacts on our on our on our life on our relationships on our health i think it is so profound we got to practice and you can practice every day with a bit of reflection part of that reflection could be instead of it being let's say around food for example it could be how were my reactions today oh yeah they were really good ah you know what I didn't take time for lunch break. And when my colleague called me at 10 past two, I was a bit ratty. That was because I didn't pause at lunch. I didn't have any space. That's why I reacted. Okay, cool. Tomorrow, I better make sure that I actually take at least a 10 minute break at lunch just to reset. And and it's so kind. But, and it also means that next time these things come up, if you've practiced them and if you've gone through a process of what happened and why you reacted, you are much more likely to change that reaction next time than if you've never reflected on it in the first place. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think there's just so many powerful learnings from from that and, and just from, from a lot of the things we've spoken about today. So I really just want to be thankful for the conversation and for for the time. You know, I've, I've read the book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, and it's it's an incredible read. I know it will probably go down as a, a health and diet book, but I think it's more than that. You know, like you've been talking about, it's, it's a lifestyle book. It's, it, it's mate, a lifestyle it's, manual. It, it's something I've had to wrestle with this year. And I've I've had this internal struggle all year with this book because some people have assumed, I've had some pretty, not many, but a, a couple of vicious comments on my Instagram from people who were fans saying, Dr. Chashi, I love everything that you've done so far, your your TV shows, your podcast, your first three books, but I'm disappointed you've jumped on the diet bandwagon as well. I thought better of you. Well, let's just apply what we've been saying. That's really interesting that because mm. it's kind of comment that a few years ago would have broken me. Oh man, they used to really like me and now they've disappointed in me. Oh man, that would reinforce this feeling that, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, I've let that person down. And I thought, well, hold on a minute couple of things. First of all, is there any truth to this? No, it's not a diet book. It is It is every bit as consistent with my approach in my first three books and my last five years of being in the media. It's just that they are quite literally judging a book by its cover. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, that's okay. Maybe they've had issues with weight before or maybe one of their friends has. Maybe they've been triggered. I try to engage really compassionately uh, with some people, it worked really well. With others, it was very much a case of, no, you're a disappointment, you're a disgrace, you've sold out, um, you just want to sell a load of books for the money. Look, let me tell you, there are far better ways to make money than writing books. <laughs> the amount of time and energy it takes to write yeah. books like this is insane, right? So that has never been my motivation. And also, one thing I will say is that one of my goals with my books is to simplify and to make it an enjoyable read where things make sense. A lot of people don't realize that is the hardest thing to do. It is much easier to write more detail and write more science and more research. And this book was a lot bigger before, like in the mm. manuscript, but I go through, 
and I go, is this necessary? Will this help somebody with their understanding? Will this help someone change their behavior or will it start to get them lost and confused? And so I, I, I brutally go in and start taking things out to go, is it essential? No, it comes out. And one of the things I really like is that the feedback has been it's a really enjoyable read that people don't want to put down and it yeah. helps them understand things. And so as long as I'm clear in my goal and some of the messages I've received, mate, over the last few days have been so touching. People who feel that they're failures or have um, that there's something wrong with them and they've said wrong in your books just really helped me understand why I could never stick to anything. One in particular, I just want to quickly share. There's a part in the book where I call it obesity as a symptom and I share there's really good research from something called the ACEs study, A-C-E, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm -hmm. There's a strong correlation between people who have had these adverse childhood experiences like physical or emotional abuse and obesity. And I share a case study in the book of a uh, one of my patients who, you know, her late teens came to see me and had tried to lose weight for years and really struggled. And I really felt there was something going on and I spent time with her really trying to understand that I really, we managed to unpick that actually she'd been in an abusive relationship when she was 16. Mm -hmm. uh, we got her some help with a therapist and it turned out that what happened with her is that she never wanted to be in an abusive relationship again. And so her method of doing that was if I put on fat and I put on weight, I will no longer be attracted to men and therefore I won't be unsafe in a relationship again. Mm. And once we got to that root cause and started to unpick that over the next few years, you know what? She lost all the weight. She got her energy back. She got her self-esteem back. And that's why this narrative over just eating less and moving more is so overly simplistic for a lot of people. And I had a message, uh, a private message on Instagram a few days ago where someone said to me in her 40s, said to me, Dr. Chatty and she sent a photo of these two, few pages in the book and said, I just want to thank you for writing those pages because I can now think back and I know what happened. I was in an abusive relationship in my late teens. I've never done anything with it. I buried it down and I can now see that for me, being fat was being unseen. Wow. And she's made an appointment with a therapist. She's now getting help. And I thought to myself... If I let the naysayers bother me because they think I've written a diet book that I haven't, right? I don't get to hit and help mm -hmm. that individual. That individual now is likely to get the help that she has needed for the last 25 years. And it's because I made the book simple and easy to read. There are great books out there. Gabor Mate has written some brilliant books, right? But they are deep mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not sure that that patient or that that person who sent me that message was going to get through a Gabor Mate book. Maybe, you know, and I love Gabor. The point is, sometimes we need to make this stuff simple, get the messaging across in a simple way that really connects with people. And that message alone is worth nine months of weekends and evenings writing this book just for that one message. I think, yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that, that it's had that impact. Yeah, I really love that. And I, it's, I say a lot about the podcast as well when, you know, people say, you know, oh, how do you want to grow the podcast? How do you want to do this? Why don't you monetize it? I say, I don't do it for that. I do it for the one message that I get that says, do you know what? I've listened to quite a few of your episodes and thank you because it's really changed my life. It's really changed my approach. And that's 
that's the value. You know, it's not the monetary stuff. It's not putting yourself on a platform. It's the impact that it's having on just one person is the priceless part, you know? Yeah, no, for sure, mate. I totally agree. So again, man, thank you for the time. Um, before we sign out, do you want to let people know where they can grab the new book, where they can follow you on social media and keep up to date with you and the podcast and everything else you're doing? Yeah, sure. So first of all, you know, just once again, I just want to say, Alex, thank you so much for having me on your platform. It's a, it's a real honor for me. I always love having these deep and meaningful conversations. And there was a lot there that, you know, I don't think I've said before. It's really nice for me to to reflect on some of those things. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah, the latest book is called Feel Great, Lose Weight. It's available everywhere, bookshops, online, usual places. Uh, that's the fourth book so you know depending on what people are interested in there, there's others out there there's one on stress there's one on behavior change so people can choose what works for them if they're interested in the sort of things I have to say I'm on all the social media platforms well I say all of them Instagram <laughs> Facebook and Twitter probably Instagram is the best place to get me it's at Dr. Chastity which is D-R-C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E um, where else? I mean, yeah, my podcast, Feel Better, Live More, is probably my favorite thing that I do. Mm-hmm. It comes out every Wednesday on every podcast platform and on YouTube for people who like to watch it. And uh, yeah, we didn't talk about sleep that much today, um, <laughs> which is a big thing for health and weight loss as well. But I've just I've just made these five um, sort of videos, these free video series on my website to help people uh, sleep better. So a bit of the science, but also some takeaway tools. So if that's interesting to anyone, if you just go to my website, there should be a pop-up where you can uh, sign up to get those free videos. But um, yeah, you know, I just hope this conversation provided value to people. And even if all they do is take one or two bits from this conversation and start applying it into their life, that mm-hmm. would make me really, really happy. Yeah, likewise. And I think, you know, there's so much stuff out there that you put out, which I think a lot of people take a lot of value from as a whole. Um, so I'd really encourage anyone who's listening who hasn't heard of you before to A, check out the podcast and all of the sites and links in your Instagram and really dive into the world of, of Rangan because it's it's amazing stuff. And I feel, I don't know if, if, if this is something you'd be up for, but I'd, at some point I'd love to do a part two because I feel like there's still so much that we can we can talk about and, and cover. And of course, if the people listening want to want that as well, I'd, I'd love to do that at some point. 100% mate. Well, definitely let's set that up. I, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, let's let's set it up later in the year if you're up for it let's do a part two I think that would be really really nice awesome we'll sort that out for sure man thank you alright man take care so there we have it I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Rongan I really loved it I think there was so much value in there there was so much more that we could have spoken about for sure like, I feel like there was so many more topics and subjects to be covered but I still think that there's a lot of value in there particularly the things around creating habits in your life taking that compassionate approach to making changes so i think we often forget that part so there's a lot of value in there if you like what you heard in this episode then please be sure to leave a review and even better still hit the subscribe button so that you get the latest episode straight to your phone and if you know someone who you think would benefit from hearing this episode then please be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing this episode today. As ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexManzi. Hit me up, say hello. Let me know what you learned from this episode and what you thought of it. I would love to hear from you. So thank you for listening. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.